0: Hey folks, that was a quick turnaround. I didn't know if I was going to make it, I had to get dried off and changed, but um, excited to start this new series today called Catalyst and um, really looking at with the things that God's called us to, where he's calling us to go, um, what's the catalyst behind that? And we know that it has to be the, the power of God. It has to be through worship and prayer that God moves and he does these things. We know we can't do it in our own strength. And so this series is going to be about that. It's going to be about worship and prayer and the power of God's word in worship and prayer. And, and so today we're specifically going to be talking about uh, worship uh, and how that is a catalyst for the, the kingdom of God and, and for our own lives and what he's called us to and Um, who he's called us to be, and the work he's called us to do. And so um, we're going to start this morning in Genesis chapter 1. I want to look at a a passage there in Genesis 1, a little bit of Genesis 2, and then 3. And we'll read those, and then uh, we're going to pray, and we'll jump in to the message. It says uh, in Genesis one, if you go and you read it, we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, tells us the earth was formless and void and empty and uh, the spirit of God was hovering over the earth. And then God began to speak. And as he spoke, he began to create uh, everything in creation. And after God would create um, at some aspect of creation, uh, he would uh, make the statement as he saw what he created, he would say it was good. I wanna point out to you though, when you get to verse 31 of Genesis one, it says, and this is after God is is finished, he's created everything. Um, It says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And so when he gets done creating it, he's, he looks around and he sees that it is very good. It's created perfectly in the order. The created order is exactly how he had established it. Uh, you go into Genesis 2 and there's a little more um, information about creation and the creation of man and uh, creation of Adam and Eve. And we get to the very end of Uh, Genesis chapter two, in verse 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And so we see even in this, this um, perfection of relationship and there was no condemnation. There was no um, anxiety. There was no sin. There was no panic. It was um, perfection, again, in the created order, the way things were intended to be. Then we get to Genesis chapter three. When it comes uh, to this, we know that Satan comes in, the serpent comes, and he begins to tempt them. He begins to tempt Eve. He questions what God told them about not eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve says this, in, uh, or, or he, Satan's serpent says this in verse two, says, or the woman said to the serpent, sorry, it'd be better just to read it. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will, will die. Verse four, you will, you will not, maybe it's not better to read it. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I want us to pray and then we'll jump into this. Lord, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you for the power, God, of your spirit and, and the word, God, that is, is breathed. It's, it emanates from you. It has authority, God. Thank you for it. Today, I pray, Lord, um, that it would be able to work in our hearts so we'd have ears to hear what you're saying to us today, Lord. And God, that your good seed would find good soil in our hearts to produce what it is you desire to produce, Lord. God, you be glorified today in all things and in all ways, Lord, as we're here to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever had the pleasant experience of maybe you doing some work in the yard, maybe you were washing the car and you had a hose that just continually got kinked up? Anybody ever had that happen? It's like sometimes, like it, especially a cheap hose or a hose that um, is getting older. It's like every time you turn around, it's got a kink in it. It, it keeps the water from flowing through there. You're constantly trying to get the kink out. Um, how many of you um, have said some things you probably shouldn't have said because of the kinks in the hose, right? Sinners, bad people, right? No, no, it can be frustrating. It's a hindrance. If the hose isn't doing what it's supposed to do, if water's not coming out, we get frustrated. We get aggravated. It's annoying, right? Um, Very frustrating. And and I was thinking about that and and thinking about how life is. And and many times I believe this. I believe so much of life is oftentimes frustrating. It's oftentimes more difficult than it should be. Um, It's oftentimes uh, very challenging um, simply because uh, we aren't functioning the way we were designed to function. If we look at Genesis chapter one, I want you to notice this again. When God created everything, it was very good, but, but it was in the order that he created it. In other words, it was in alignment. Alignment meaning it was, in, it, was, it was in the order that it was intended to be. Now when a hose is in the order in straight, it's in alignment, it functions the way it's designed to function. But but what happens is, when God had created the, the order in the way He wanted it to be, sin comes in and distorts that. See, God created it where He was recognized. there was perfect relationship with Him as God. But when sin happened, what ended up happening? Adam and Eve decided, what? We want to be like God. And that tends to be the nature of all sin, right? Is that I try to elevate myself. It's, I focus, it puts the focus on me. And so what I end up doing is I try to elevate myself to the place of God or above the place of God in life. I distort the order and what happens? It kinks it up, it becomes frustrating. It doesn't function the way it was designed to function. And so we realize this is what happens. We see after sin that the whole creation, the Bible tells us was subjected to frustration they're subjected to frustration. Why? The order is all out of whack. There's kinks everywhere. It's not flowing the way it was designed to flow. It's not functioning the way it's designed to function. And so we, we need to recognize this. That, and I, I think you've probably seen this too, that so many times in my life, I can be in the same circumstances in two different seasons, and one season is so much harder than the other. And what I've noticed is it's not because of the circumstances, it's because of where I'm at in my relationship with God. These circumstances can become so much more challenging and difficult when I'm not lined up in relationship with God, when I'm trying to do it myself, when I make it about me, when I'm trying to advance me or my agenda or what I want, then I tend to get much, much more frustrated. So we need to live our life in alignment in the right way. There's two ways today I wanna talk to you about how we come into alignment, two ways. The first one of these is through salvation, okay? The first one is salvation. So listen, if you've never come to faith in Christ, then this is how your whole life has been lived. You've been living as though if this is God and this is you, you've lived your entire life like you are God. Not submitted to God, not not pursuing God, not in relationship with God, not at peace with God, but you've lived your entire life in rebellion against God in trying to be God yourself. And so we have to come to this place of recognizing who God is, listen, who God is. And there has to be this moment where our eyes are open, that the spirit opens our eyes and we see that there is a God and he is much higher than me. He's a God and he is not like me. He's God and he is very holy and righteous and just and perfect. And I look at me and I go, I'm not like that. In fact, he is so much higher Than me. He is so much bigger and better than me that I have no possibility of ever truly being able to elevate myself to even get close to who He is and where He is. And so I see that. I see this truth about God that He's holy and perfect and righteous and just. And then I see the truth about me and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like Isaiah said when he has this revelation of God in the temple and he sees the glory of God, he's like, I'm ruined. And we come to this place of recognizing our own sin in our life and we're like, I'm ruined. Here's a holy God, the chasm, this, this divide between he and I are so so big. I have no chance of making this right. I have no chance of cleansing my conscience. I have no chance of escaping this condemnation and this burden of shame that's weighing me down. I have no chance of this. And so we just kinda, kinda look at God and we, we feel this weight of sin and shame on our life or maybe our conscience has even become so seared and so hard that we just kind of go through life and we don't even acknowledge it. But there has to be this moment where our eyes are open to recognize that there is a God, that he is holy, that he is righteous, that he is good and perfect, sovereign, faithful, and I'm not. And then though, we can't stop there. This is where too many people live, right? They stop there. We also have to come to this place where we recognize what God's done to bridge the gap between he and I. We can't stop at who God is and who I am. I have to see what God has done in Christ. I have to see that he's, he's done something for me. He's taking my condemnation. Jesus took my sin on himself, went to the cross, took the wrath of God on himself. And in that set me free from the condemnation and wrath of God so that the Bible can tell us, and we're gonna look at it in just a second in Romans 8, 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. How can there be no condemnation? I've still got sin in my life. Because when you come to faith in Jesus, he gives you his righteousness and takes all your junk. And so we see this, this is one of the ways, like look, we, we may be living our lives where we're elevating ourselves, We've lived our whole life unsubmitted, unsurrendered, unloving with God. We haven't lived in peace with God. We've never really known God. There's no intimacy with God. There's no relationship with God. And we just lived our whole life like this. But there can come this moment where we realize who God is, who we are, what God's done, and who I can become in him that our life does this. Let's go to the book of Romans because I was praying through this and, and I really, I want you to see something today that I think is huge. It's huge in how we live our life, how we align our life through salvation. In verse, or chapter 12 of Romans, I've talked about this briefly in messages, but I really want to try to hone in a little more on it today. In Romans chapter 12, verse one, it says this. Therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, so we see this, but there's a couple of things I want to point out to you. He says, first of all, he says, therefore, what's he meaning? He's talking about everything he's already laid out in the book of Romans. Paul, this expertly, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes out this perfect letter, laying out the gospel. It's so clear when you read the book of Romans to see um, who we are, but what God's done, how good he's been to us, and all of these things. I want to kind of walk through this a little bit because I want you to understand this word, this therefore in Romans chapter one. If we drop all the way back to Romans three, I'm just gonna hit these really quick. In the first three chapters of Romans, Paul is laying out this this argument, showing this, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not just um, Gentiles, the non-Jews, but Jews also. Now, even those who try to live a good life, he's saying we're all under condemnation. We're all under the law, these rules. We're all um, falling short of the perfection of God. And he lays this out. But then he tells us in verse 21, of chapter three, he says, but now there's a, apart from the law, this this righteousness has appeared and it's righteousness not through our works, it's righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ who paid the price for our sin so that we could be redeemed from it, saved from it, rescued from it. He's telling us there's a new way. Then he goes to Abraham, this patriarch of the faith and he he says, listen, how was Abraham made right? The Bible tells us that Abraham was made right when he believed God, he believed God's promise and it says that um, God credited it to him as righteousness and we see so we see that Paul is laying this out. You'll never make yourself right with Christ. You'll never be able to do it on your own. But here's the truth. By faith in Jesus, you can become right. You can exchange your unrighteousness, your dirt, your filth, your uncleanness for his righteousness. And he uses Abraham as an example. Listen to a couple of these verses. I'm going to read a couple out of chapter five because these are so powerful if we can really grasp and understand these. The first one, listen to verse five. He tells us this, that he's talking about our hope being in Christ. He says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He's saying, listen, our hope is sure. How is it sure? We know because he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us this seal, this down payment on what's to come. He's saying this is God showing us his love and giving us his spirit, guaranteeing us what's to come. If you look at verse eight, this is incredible. This ought to be enough to bring us to worship just in and of itself. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about what this is saying, guys. This is saying that God me. This is saying that when I was living as though God didn't exist, when I was living in rebellion against God, when I was not mindful of God, when I wanted no part of God, even when I was was blaspheming God, when I turned my back on God, when I saw myself as God, it says that God was mindful of me and he loved me and he gave Jesus for me. Not when I got everything right, but even when I was in rebellion against him. Verse 10. For if we, while we were God's enemies, were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We look at this. this, While we were enemies, who dies for their enemies? Who dies for those who are, in rebellion against them. We see the love of God who's made a way for us. We go to chapter six and we look at this and it, it say, he says, what shall we say then? He's talked about how grace abounds greater than sin. And he says, shall we go on sinning? He's like, by no means, there's no way we would go on sinning. He said, look, if you lived your whole life like this and then all of a sudden you tasted the goodness of God and the life that he gives and this, this flow of life that comes into you when you're in alignment with his created order and.'" How how he designed it. You're in this relationship and you have peace with him. He's saying, how could you want to go back and live your life like this? By no means. Goes into chapter seven. Now this is a chapter where he's talking about the battle of trying to live out the law and trying to live sinless. And when we look at it, we realize he's setting up chapter eight. He's saying, look, we've, been, we've died with Christ to live a new life, chapter six. Chapter seven, I really struggle to do this. My flesh is weak. Chapter eight, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The way we live this life out is through the power of the Holy Spirit he's given us. Am I talking too fast? Making sense so far. So we get to chapter eight and we see the necessity of the Holy Spirit. We come into chapters nine, 10 and 11. We see the sovereign hand of God that that brings us to salvation. We see the power of God to call people out of the earth to be his own people. This incredible sovereign plan that God turns the hearts of rebellious sinners back to himself. This incredible fact that God didn't give up on the world, but he chose to save the world. And then we come to Romans chapter 12. That's just a real brief snippet. That is not even doing partial justice to the book of Romans. But we come to Romans chapter 12, verse one and we read, therefore, and we go, oh. Oh, all that. Wow. Therefore, I urge you. He says, I urge you. I'm encouraging, I'm exhorting you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. What mercy? one through 11. What mercy, the mercy that God has poured out on us, the mercy he offers us in Jesus. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve because he treated Jesus as our sin deserves. And he says, offer your lives as a living sacrifice. I want you to understand this today. Or We offer our lives as a living sacrifice, not so that God will give us mercy and so that he'll love us. We offer our lives as a living sacrifice because he's given us mercy and he loves us. The Bible tells us we love him because he first loved us. God's love in us and for us is the catalyst for our love for him. And so the first way we come into this is we recognize those truths and we go and, and we turn from our sin, we turn from our rebellion, we recognize who Christ is and we align ourselves with him. It's what Reed did the other night in, the, in our bed as we're laying there talking about God and about Jesus and, and, and then he just prays him. he's like, what do I do? I'm like, just surrender your life to him, you know, you recognize his love. You recognize who he is. Just talk to him like he talked to me and, and he'll pray and he'll and do things. And But that night it was so, so cool and so different. It was so sincere in saying, God, I wanna follow you. Aligning our lives with him. The best, I guess, that a nine-year-old can do, you know, understanding that. And so we look at this and we see this and, We recognize one way we come into alignment is we repent of our sin. We align ourselves with God by faith. How do we continue in this? We continue by faith. It starts with faith, it ends with faith. By faith, I pursue Christ. So the first way we come into alignment is through salvation. The second way we come into alignment is through worship, through worship. Now. Singing, as we typically think about it, I even catch myself doing it a lot. When I talk about worship, I'm meaning the songs we sing during church. And singing is a form of worship. Yes, it's a form of worship, um, but it's not the only form of worship. Paul tells us to offer our bodies, our lives as a living sacrifice. What's that mean? It means that worship is a lifestyle. It's not just something we do uh, with people leading us from a stage, it's a lifestyle. It's literally living my life in alignment. It brings us back to our right place. And so we see this, we see this alignment. Paul tells these, this church in Rome, he tells them, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. What's he saying? The rest of the world, it, it lives like this, right? God, me. He's saying, don't conform to that pattern. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Bring your mind into alignment with God's. Bring your heart into alignment with God's. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, then you'll be able to test and approve what his will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. He said, you get in alignment, you transform your mind. Let the word of God begin to transform your mind through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, you come into alignment, you discern the will of God. So we come into this place and see, here's the thing though that I see. It's not just when we're saved that we have to do this, but it's every day. It's every single day. How many of you, this is God, this is me. How many of you, you feel this every day? Anybody? You're all perfect, more perfect than I am, all right? You feel this, this flesh is trying to rise up, trying to rise up, trying to rise up. And here's the thing, guys, in our culture, in American culture, this is, this is very, very common for us to live. We might not live this way as a Christian, but we kind of like to live like this, don't we? Because what happens here, it's just a little kink. There's still a little bit of water flows through it. And you know what? As long as I can get a little bit of Jesus, get to heaven, mm, I'm pretty good, Right? And so we live like this. We're content with this. Just a, just a little bit, just a little bit of Jesus. But see, I don't see that in the gospel. And let me ask you this if you've tasted this, why would you settle for this? John chapter 7. I love this verse, or these these three verses. John chapter 7, Jesus is at a festival called the festival of tabernacles and it says this in John 7:37 it says on the last and greatest day of the festival Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so there's this promise that God's not gonna give us a little bit of the spirit, just a little foretaste of the spirit till we get to heaven. He's telling us God is going to flood us with the Spirit. He's going to give us a taste. We're going to be able to truly taste and see that the Lord is good. We're going to be able to have intimacy with God, to know God, to be in relationship with God. We're going to be able to have this. And he says that it didn't happen then um, or had not been given because he had not been glorified. The good news for us today, fast forward, uh, couple of thousand years. The good news for us is Jesus has been glorified. Jesus died, but he was raised. He ascended to heaven. He sent back the promise of the Holy Spirit that he had given us. He told us he would send him back. He sent him back the father, the son. Now the spirit is with us and in us. And so when we live our life in alignment to God, when we are living our life in faith that God, um, deserves my heart and all of my life, not just some of me, not just enough to kind of try to get me by, but I wanna live my life and surrender to him, fully aligned with him, then the promise of scripture is that those who believe, those who trust, those who bring themselves into alignment with God, that the spirit of God will flow through them like rivers of living water. Not just a little drop, but the power of God surging through our spirits, our bodies, transforming us, bringing us into alignment. But how do we do this every day, every day? How do we do it every single day? Because it's kind of easy in here, right? Got some guy yelling at you about how good God is. You're like, yeah, yeah. And then you go out here and you get in traffic trying to get out of the church, give some guy the finger in the church parking lot, cuss out one of the parking guys. It's happened. And, and life happens. You know, you get home and, and you're trying to cook supper and, and, uh, and, and, and you're there and one of your children is, is grabbing hold of your, you know, your sleeve and you're trying to cook and they're like, daddy, 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 daddy. And the other one's over here breaking something. I mean, if you have kids that break stuff, I got one. If you put him in a padded room, a room with four padded walls and a ball bearing, he'd break it. I promise you could put him in there with a bowling ball. He'd break it. And so they're breaking stuff and, 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 you know, this is just going and, and you're like, ah! And then, you know, your husband or your wife comes home and they're, they're just acting crazy. And, and then pretty soon you're just like, ah! Like, how do, you, how do you stay in alignment then? Or you go to work, you know, I, I won't ask you to raise your hands for this, but how many of you have a boss that's a jerk? You know, you ain't gotta raise your hand, but hey, it happens. How I many you have employees that you're like, it'd just be easier if I didn't have them? Don't raise your hand. They might be here. <laughs> but, you know, it's life. Life happens. You know, life happens. Things get tough. How do, how do I then not just go, I'll just take it into my own hands. I'll handle this. I believe a big part of this answer is in Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go there. We've got to flip on through the New Testament of good ways. Hebrews chapter 12. How do I carry this through life? Listen to this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now what he's referring to, that therefore, is referring to chapter 11, when the writer is talking about all of these great people of faith who by faith did great things. And through faith, we see the power of God through them. When I first started reading the Bible, I read this and I thought that they were kind of like up in heaven in the bleachers, like eating popcorn, watching us. Like they're in the clouds and they're witnesses to what we're doing. Not what it's saying. He's saying they're witnesses to the power of God and how God operated through them in faith. He says, so let us live this out from moment to moment, not just from like Sunday morning to my connect group or small group to you know maybe a worship night or a conference. How do I live this out in between? The Bible never tells us focus on your sin so you can get rid of it. The Bible tells us fix our eyes on Jesus. Too many times we get together as Christians and we just want to talk about our sin or our struggle. What we need to do is yeah, let's confess our sin to one another, but then let's quickly turn our eyes to Jesus and celebrate the fact that we have a God who is so good, he's made a way for us to come back to him. So it's fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author of our faith he's also the perfecter of our faith we fix our eyes on christ because if you are like me and i suspect you are to some degree if i wait to the moment where the kid's pulling on my sleeve the other one's breaking something and just say i had a wife that came in acting crazy (laughs) never happens seriously never happens but just say she did if i wait to that moment it's too late My flesh, I'm like, ah! If I wait to the moment, you know, of whatever, it's too late, I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. It's one reason I think it's so important that, you know, sometime in our morning, early, we we set our minds on Christ. We spend some time praying or in his word or both or worshiping or whatever. It's like I told nine o'clock, sometimes you got to turn it from 96.5 to 107.3. Right? I'm not saying all, you know, I like some country music, but now it's like, I like the older stuff better because it's like the the new stuff is all about chasing women and drinking beer, where the old stuff is more like drinking beer because the woman you are chasing ran away. (laughs) But somewhere in the mix of all that, there's something good, you know, or, or, or okay, right? But sometimes, listen, we need to fix our eyes on Christ. I'm not up here just to bash secular music. What I'm telling you, though, is you need to do what you need to do to fix your eyes on Jesus. And we get to do what we get to do to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And as I fix my eyes on him, I begin, I keep bringing my life into alignment. that my life begins to be transformed. As I worship in, in his word, as I worship in prayer, as I worship in song, as I worship, as I worship, as I worship, my mind is transformed. Things begin to change. This circumstance isn't, doesn't, doesn't spark the same reaction as it did before. God is flowing through my life. The spirit is moving in me. And in this, I've laid down my life. Why? The same reason I come to salvation. I see the mercy of God. I've told you this many, many times, but if I, can ask, if I can answer these questions through scripture, who is God, who am I apart from Christ? What has God done? And who have I become in Christ now because of what God has done? If I can truly answer and understand those four questions, there's no way that I don't come to a place of worship. If I reflect on those and I really spend time, God, God, thank you for who you are, God, that you didn't give up on me, that you didn't give up on this world, God, you are good. And we begin to just even think about who he is. And I begin to think about who I am, but I don't stop there. I go to what Jesus has done and who I've become. There's no way I can truly see that, understand that the spirit of God in me being stirred up and me not worship him. Last thing I want to say, Galatians chapter four. Galatians chapter four. Paul in this is, is, again, he's talking about being made righteous through faith. He's talking about how we can't make ourselves right before God by obeying rules. He's talking about all these things. He comes to chapter four. He begins to talk about now we've come of age, that Jesus has come. We have now become sons of God. We're no longer children. We become sons. We are at an age to receive the inheritance that God has for us. And he tells us in verse four, he says, but when the set time had come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his son, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And what he's saying to us is, listen, because you've now become a son, God has poured his spirit out into your heart. It's this spirit that causes us to cry out Abba, father, that stirs up in us. We cry out Abba, father. And many times in church, we've heard this word used, and we've talked about how it means like daddy, and it is just an Aramaic term of endearment for a father, but it's not a soft word. Um, I was reading something uh, last night. It was actually something that David Platt wrote, and as I was reading it, it was talking about this word, and he said, it's not this soft, sentimental word. It's a word that literally means like to cry out in desperation. He said, It's like when you're in the dark as a child and you're scared and you reach out to grab hold of your father's neck to wrap your arms around him. He said, It's a, a word of desperation and longing and desire. And I started thinking about that. What if we pursued God with that mi- mindset? What if we pursued God because we look at what he's done, who he is, we look at who we've become now because of him. I'm still not perfect, I've still got flaws, but oh my gosh, I wanna serve this God who's done all of this for me. What if I live with the mindset, God, I want more of you, I need more of you, more than anything, I want your presence, more than anything, God, I wanna see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, more than anything, I wanna know your will and your heart so I can come into alignment so we can see this happen, God. God, I want to do what you put me here to do. I want to know you more. If it wasn't just a routine but it was a passionate pursuit of God, how different would things be? And see here's what we don't want worship to become. This is how it is like, right? And so we say, well, I'm gonna worship God. I'm gonna worship God. If this is God and this is me, we don't want it. This, worship is not about doing this. It's not me trying to get God into alignment with me. It's me coming into alignment with God. And that's what we're about to do. I I wanna encourage you. I wanna urge you, as Paul urged the, the church in Rome, I wanna urge you, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. I don't know what the circumstances are in your life, but I know the God who's bigger than the circumstances. Let's begin to align ourselves with him, that the spirit of God would flow in us. Maybe today you need to come up here and worship and just leave some stuff here. Listen, maybe today you need to do that at your seat. I don't know where it is, but whatever it is that's hindering you, the sin that so easily entangles, the distraction that so easily keeps us off the path. Let's, let's, Leave that and let's come to this place of being in alignment with God, worshiping him for who he is and what he's done, thanking him for all the goodness that we see in him. Let's begin to worship him like we wanna grab and give him a hug around his neck, that we wanna grab hold of him and not let go, that we wanna see his kingdom come through a lot of these initiatives and things we're doing, but also just in our life in general. God, use me. Some of you, listen, some of you need to be refreshed. The way you get refreshed is you return. Some of you have left where you used to be and you need to come back to a place of alignment with God. You haven't tasted the goodness of God in a big way in a while. And I'm telling you today, there's more than two people here. God is present. God desires to move. God will make a way for you. He's made a way and his name is Jesus. But let's come together and let's begin to praise him and let's begin to worship him like he deserves to be worshipped. Father, we thank you. We thank you for life. We thank you for the life of Jesus. God, we thank you that you didn't come to give us a trickle of life, but you came to give us abundant life. And today, God, we come to worship you, to align our lives with you, God. We thank you, Father, for all you are, all you do. And God, that we can come into this time now with freedom and boldness to come boldly before your throne of grace. We love you, Lord.